Welcome to Laser Focused. Together, we make the impossible possible. Now here's your host, Renette Youssef. Welcome to Laser Focused, a podcast that takes you on a journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Vela3D. On the show today, we have the president and founder of Elementum 3D, Jacob Nuchalian. Jacob holds multiple advanced degrees from the Colorado School of Mines and worked as a material science consultant before founding Elementum 3D. Jacob has been working in powder mythology for the past 15 years and his research with composition design, batching, mixing, and forming green parts directly relates to the handling and distribution of powder for additive manufacturing materials development. Please welcome Dr. Jacob Nutrillian. So Jacob, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thank you. Of course. So I obviously did some research before you came on the show to learn a little bit about you. And one of the things I first noticed on your LinkedIn profile was that you completed three degrees, a Bachelor of Engineering, Master of Science, and a PhD, all in seven years at the Colorado School of Mines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're nodding away, yes. How did, you, how did that breakneck education pace prepare you to found your own company? Well, I knew that academia wasn't for me. Uh-huh. So it was a matter of navigating the academic world and going at it as hard as I could. And certainly the Colorado School of Mines takes a lot to be able to go after and do that. And I had a lot of good support and a lot of good uh, mentors along the way as well. So yeah, charging at that full speed then I think gave me the confidence to go after the next thing at full speed. Okay, which was Elementum 3D? That's right. Um, About a year after I graduated, I started Elementum off an idea, just talking ideas over a couple of beers with a friend. And uh, it's grown a lot since then. (laughs) Oh, wow. Very entrepreneurial. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you, you mentioned mentors. I also learned that one of your biggest mentors in your life, your lifelong mentor, is actually your eighth grade teacher. What was that relationship with your teacher like that has grown into a lifelong mentor and how has he or she helped you found Elementum and the advice that they've helped you with over the years? So I, I loved science in seventh grade and in eighth grade as well and really got to dive into that and I don't know, as you're developing and growing, you start to latch on to topics that really excite you. And part of that was my seventh and eighth grade teachers, and specifically uh, Dr. Quentin Henney, who also got his degree from the Colorado School of Mines, but he was a serial entrepreneur and was a teacher for a few years in between. So I got lucky in that, really got a chance to make an impact and really introduce myself to someone who, who knew would become a big big part of my life later, right? But yeah, he really encouraged me to start Elementum later and yeah, helped with the initial funding and is still a part of Elementum today. Oh, that's amazing. I think we've had lots of people on the show actually talk about the importance of mentorship. And I think this one has really struck home with me, like eighth grade, like really, you know, who you are, it's a huge. Okay, <laughs> so your thesis work was in thermodynamics and formation kinetics of metal matrix composites which obviously is directly related to 3D printing processes. When did you first become interested in additive manufacturing and what fascinated you most about the technology? My work at the Colorado School of Mines and the metallurgy and the the material science I was doing there had nothing to do with 3D printing. 
Powder metallurgy, yes. 3D printing, no. We were doing stir casting of metal matrix composites into aluminum, molten aluminum. And it was really that inspiration of stir casting is a terrible way to do it. That was really like, well, how do I do this better? And, and how do we take the advantages of these materials, these metal matrix composites, and translate them to manufacturing method that is controlled differently? And that's really was the inspiration. So I didn't know anything about 3D printing when I started Elementum 3D. I knew nothing. Was the company called Elementum 3D at the time? Or did that evolve? So actually, when it started, I called it Centerprint Inc. Okay, okay. I first thought it was a centering process, you know, DMLS. In the name, it says centering. So I was assuming and made terrible assumptions at the time. I knew the powder metallurgy and didn't know the additive part. And so that was really what the first... I would say six months were really focused on was learning how to do 3D printing and, and exactly how to you know create files and create components so that I could prove out the concepts and the metallurgic ideas. Okay, okay. I'm going to go back a little bit before we jump to 3D printing. So when you were an undergraduate, you also worked as a laboratory research assistant and you were trusted to design and device experiments for the development of NASA's Mars Return Contingency Plan. What was that experience like and what, how did that impact your career and who you are today and, your, and like what you're doing at Elementum? <laughs> it certainly made NASA a less scary word, right? When you're just a student and you're learning. I was technically Earth's last line of defense against the Martians, which is what I got to tell all my friends. And, and that's exactly what we were doing. We were, we were looking at, well, if there was a sample to be returned to Earth, how would we make sure that if something were to go wrong in its return to Earth, that it would auto-ignite and destroy itself. Through that project and through working on that project, it really gave me a sense of, okay, well, how do we work on science-based projects where we can do experiments to demonstrate what we're trying to do? And how do we do these experiments to really dive into exactly what the mechanism should be. So yeah, I mean, it gave me the confidence to look at, at projects with NASA and, and projects with other large organizations. And then onto my PhD, it helped kind of, I think, set the stage for some of the technology that we used in our group to go after projects with DARPA and, and others. So you talked about experiments. And I think you talked about like, you didn't know what Elementum was when you first started, you kind of had an idea. So when you attempted the first Elementum experiment, how did you mentally prepare for the exhaustive research it would take and the potential setbacks, but also on the positives? Like, what did you learn from the first successes you had? It was absolutely incredible. It was, it was just me at a desk, and I bought a laser engraver and cut into it and turned it into a laser powder bed printer. Uh -huh. And those first experiments worked, just worked. No, I didn't have to do things twice. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is the right direction. It just worked. And that never happens. That, that has never happened in anything. It hasn't happened in anything since. Um, but those first experiments, they, they worked exactly how I drew them up. And that was really exciting. I mean, I was there in a warehouse myself, just cheering and jumping because it worked. Wow. Maybe it was a different path than most because, like I say, that has never happened since then where it just worked the first time. It takes a lot going into a lot of the experiments since then, but that, those first experiments just worked. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was really exciting, and that, that was also then exciting for, for those initial investors, and it was exciting for being able to file our patents and then really being able to dive in and, and bring on the team and, and the people that we needed to to really start going after, you know, the real work, which is proving that it works. 
which is the hard part. Yes, okay. So at the heart of Elementum is your patented RAM and reactive additive manufacturing technology. So what was it about this process that enables printability of materials that were previously thought impossible? Well, my, my first concepts were based around marrying the things that I had done in the past as far as metallurgy and reaction synthesis, and then taking that knowledge that I had developed and learned in the past and saying, okay, well, how do we actually use this amazing technology? And so it was a matter of bringing together laser powder bed printing and other types of, of additive manufacturing and combining that with the metallurgical knowledge and the powder metallurgy that I had been developing before that. And so that was really the inspiration is, well, my biggest problem was I had a big giant molten pool of aluminum and I was trying to get the particles to stay where I put them. That didn't work. It was awful. We were trying to stir it. It would dissolve the stir. It was, it was terrible. With 3D printing, however, we're melting about 60 microns at a time and we're cooling at a million degrees Celsius a second. Okay, there's no time, there's no space for the ceramic particles to leave. So that was my original inspiration. And then I found, well, not, it's not just applicable to these really amazing metal matrix composites. It's also applicable to all of these materials. And let's really go after them. So that, that was kind of the inspiration and the excitement that, that I had. But that's, that was really the key for what made us different. So, so Jacob, you also mentioned DARPA or the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which I've learned also awarded an innovation research contract to Elementum back in May. That was to develop an additive manufacturing method, Rhenium. Yeah, so we're going after printing Rhenium. And Rhenium is a really interesting alloy that I, I think there's a lot of excitement, not just for DARPA, but for other groups in anything that's high temperature so for energy, for defense, for a lot of different applications, we're now finding people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, we'd like that, that to be able to print that as well. So yes, we were just awarded a project from DARPA. You know, haven't done a lot of work with DARPA since my work, you know, a decade ago at the Colorado School of Mines. So it's exciting to be getting back into that sort of work. So what other government agencies have you worked with and what projects have you completed with them? And, and are you focused on government projects or other also industries? You know, definitely industries is our focus. We work with a lot of different departments within the government because there's a lot of interest. And sometimes a lot of that work that we can do there can translate to a lot of the work that we do with industry. But high-end automotive, cooling for data centers, a lot of those sorts of applications, the original development work that we were doing was targeted at maybe a government project, but evolved from there into real commercial work. Uh, you know, our, our first customer was the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, you know, about six years ago now. Our first anything we sold, my first dollar I earned was selling into to JPL. You know, certainly we've done a lot of work with a lot of different agencies since then, Navy, Army, DOE, all sorts of different groups. But yeah, our first customer was JPL. What other applications have you focused on since, since that first customer? That's the fun part of materials, right? Is we're, we're involved in a lot of industries. Everything from, we, we developed some of the first settings for large format printers for GRCOP42 and printing of rocket engines. So we've done quite a bit of that to high-end automotive. We have components that are racing today in F1 racing, and that's exciting for us too. And then to data centers, to RF antennas, all over the place. That's just the things we can kind of talk about. And so that, that can be some of the difficult part of my job as well is 
some of the coolest things we can't say anything about. Us too. Don't worry. I know how it feels. <laughs> so what, you talked about temperature. So what can you tell us about the materials you have developed for elevated temperature applications? Because I think that's quite, pretty big about what you're doing too. Yeah. So I, I would say there's two categories there. There's the first category, which are materials that are designed to just be able to withstand very high temperatures and a lot of those materials are difficult to machine, they're difficult to form into complex shapes. And so additive, you know, lends itself quite well to being able to go after those sorts of materials. You know, rhenium's, tungstens, tantalum prints quite nicely. And, and so going after those particular categories has, has been something that we've done quite a bit of. The other category would be materials that are very good at transferring heat. So GRCOP42, even aluminum for some relatively high temperature applications, we've made you know, rocket engines out of aluminum alloys and aluminum metal matrix composites, and then to other materials where you can actively cool them. And then you get the advantages of additive manufacturing where you have these very complex internal channels and you can take advantage of those internal channels to be able to actively cool components. So there's kind of, as I say, two categories that we've been able to address there. Perfect. So you've obviously seen the industry evolve and there's customer adoption, but it's the customer adoption isn't like huge it's not fast it's but so what do you think needs to happen in the industry to sort of uh, overcome these obstacles and what challenges are still there that we need to uncover and help fix for adoption so i would say there's a couple of different pieces to that the first being that it has changed a lot it's absolutely changed a lot the parts that we see come across where we're helping customers develop those components out of our materials they're no longer pieces of you know something that you could just bend out of sheet metal. They actually have the application in mind. And I think the big part for me has been the education in the industry. Design for additive, as I said a couple of years ago, was, was king. Now there's a lot of people who are starting to learn how to design for additive. And now a lot of the barriers that we're seeing are not necessarily the business case, but it's how good is the business case. It's the risk takers, the people who want to do things first. Those are really the guys that I think are spearheading the way with a part that's 80, 90% better than what they're able to do otherwise. Even more cost effective, everything else. But the risk factors are there of it's a new technology, you know, additive manufacturing in general and, and new materials to go with that. That's the part that when a couple of those components have gone into full manufacturing, have been in full manufacturing for a long period of time on systems where they can demonstrate here it is, that's when you start to see engineering teams and management teams get together and say, okay, where else can we apply this and get 30% benefit and go after those set of applications of which there are way more. And I expect that we'll start seeing that in the next two to even three years here where we see a lot of people take those things that are going into manufacturing now in additive and then translating that down to great applications that are still better than the CNC machining or the forgings that are being done for a number of different reasons that we could get into, but they'll be willing to do it on things that are only 30% better and aren't these huge multiples of you know improvements. So, so Jacob, you mentioned design for additive. Do you think that's an obstacle? for some engineering teams? If I had infinite time, I certainly would start a company that was doing spell check for additive. You know, that little red squiggly line you see on a Word document. If that existed for 3D printing, I think additive would be moving a lot faster than it is. Um, and if it was widely available to a lot of engineers and they knew how to use it. Okay. That little sense of, well, don't do this when you're designing something, I think would give people confidence to really go after things. With that said, I, I have seen quite a bit of improvement where 
we're talking with someone who has never 3D printed a part before, but they've taken in some of the advice and things that they've heard from others and been able to make a really exciting business case of a part. And then there's just small tweaks that we can make. So the business case can be made. And that I think was a huge barrier, uh, you know, a year or even two years ago that I think is beginning to open up, which is really exciting. We, we agree at Velo. We think that you shouldn't have to redesign a part just to print it. So I think that's a barrier that we, as an industry, need to work on to sort of remove. But I still want to get more thoughts about this. This is quite a fun uh, conversation. So uh, how have you seen the technology around 3D printing, especially metal 3D printing, evolve since you've like started experimenting with 3D metal printing? You know, everything is going to more lasers, larger printers, faster printing, that seems to be the real direction that everything go is going. And I, I think for me, the next step for really to take that next leap is going to be the reliability and the trust of the users. So people who, who know, hey, this machine is going to be up and is going to be running and is going to do all these things. Now that case where it's 80% better, you only have to make a case for it being 15% better because you know it's going to work and it's solid. So. And, and I'm starting to see that from people from Velo, from competitors to Velo. We're starting to see that sort of, I think, real commitment to the, the reliability and the repeatability of the process, which I, I think is absolutely key. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm most excited to see next is now that we have applications where we're showing and demonstrating that this is less expensive than forging or machining in many cases, or it gives you these wild benefits over you know even even supply chain benefits or logistical benefits now i think it's really about developing trust and trust with the end user and trust with the machine user is key and i, I think that's really exciting because that means that it can ramp very quickly once that happens so i was going to ask you to talk more about trust so when you're saying trust it's like say a a, a Velo 3D in like making sure that the end user is trusting their technology. And trusting if I need to buy a hundred of these, I know I can put the budget together and say, we're going to buy a hundred of them. And I know every single one of those hundred is going to perform like the last. That's something that these are really complex machines. They're doing things that, I mean, compare it to a CNC machine. I mean, it's not even close, right? So it really is that next level of technology. And so it's now taking that something that's really complex and making it so that it is rock solid and as reliable as these CNC machines that you know people have a lot of trust in now. I think it's coming and, and I think it's being developed now that trust is being developed as we speak. And I think that's the really exciting part for me. Yeah, I would agree. I still get a kick out of people seeing a Velo 3D part or a part coming out of a printer. They're like, wow. I love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. How do you evaluate 3D metal printers and, and providers? And, and what's more importantly on your non-negotiable list? Yeah, I think, I think the industry as a whole is being driven by, by the machine manufacturers at the moment because it is this sense of, well, how do we make sure that we're making things that are big enough, we're making things fast enough, and we're making things reliably enough that we can plug this in and go into a giant factory. And, and I think that's where I would say that the entire industry as a whole is in its kind of teenage years. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's in its infancy anymore. I would say it's kind of in that maturing, you know, there's more diversity of, of thought as far as how to do it, but that, you know, all of the different ways to do that work. 
And it's now getting exciting in that we're seeing that kind of aging from, well, it's this thought and a good idea and exciting to an actual manufacturing process. And I know that the term additive manufacturing has really you know, been stepped up in its use about in 2012, 2013. But I think we're finally growing into that term now that we're in a position where you can create components that just were not possible even a few years ago. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. And I wish people could see your face because you're kind of like really inspired by this uh, and the thoughts. Another question around this, what we're talking about is like, how do you see the technology evolving in five and 10 years? And it could be materials, it could be like more lasers or, you know, bigger lasers, things that you've already talked about, but anything else that we didn't touch on? I think we see it evolving first in automation. I think there will be some amount of automation where there will be, you know, active feedback saying, hey, this part, we can see that there's a defect in this component and therefore we're going to stop this component and and basically alert or even have the build swap out. I think that's coming. And I think that's an important piece of, well, if there was another two days on that build, you're saving two days of build time if you know that it's not worth continuing. I think the other part is having that data and being able to save that data really changes the entire outlook of you know insuring a product and saying, okay, well, at least when it was made, we have an entire history of the component that shows that there were no defects during the printing process. So I expect it will actually be insurance companies in the future that are saying, hey, we don't want a casting because we can't see what's going on in the middle. We can't see what's happening to that block of, of material that's being forged in the middle. In additive, you can see exactly what's happening at every single layer and you can keep a record of that. That's maybe five to 10 years away before that's real, but that is something that I think will change additive from something that is useful for some applications to something that is useful for every application. That's perfect. Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about like what you've learned up until now. So you obviously you know did some three degrees, <laughs> you did your PhD, you started you know an entrepreneurial track. So what advice would you give your younger self? Don't listen to your older self. I think about this a lot. If I had known how difficult starting a company would be in some, in some cases and in, in, in some of the hurdles, I think I would have been too afraid to do it. It would have been do it anyway. So my advice absolutely even now is if there is something that is, is making, you know, well, I don't know if this will work or I'm not sure if that might happen, you know, sometimes too much knowledge gets in the way. And so going after it and really trying and, and just diving in is really important. So if I had a chance to talk to my younger self, I wouldn't. Okay. So, so you've mentioned hurdles. What have been some of the hurdles that you've experienced today? There's a lot, uh, you know, capital equipment, because I mean, we, we're never in a position where we want to just send material and say, good luck to someone. We want to know, okay, here's how we develop the process. Here are the settings, here are the post-processing. So the capital cost of having printers in-house and doing that development is, is immense. The amount of time that's, and money that's spent on, on doing that qualification where you're just printing tensile bar after tensile bar after tensile bar, fatigue sample after fatigue sample. I mean, it is really daunting if you look at the whole thing from the outset. If you look at it in pieces and chunks, certainly it's, it's tackleable. And so there's that. There's also the regulatory side of you know getting through different pieces of standards bodies and getting them to agree or even getting a sense of here's how we know that this part is right for additive and this part is wrong or this is good data and this is bad data 
it's a nightmare if you go at it thinking, well, here's this massive hill to climb as opposed to, well, if we just do this, then we'll be closer. On that same vein, is there anything you would have done differently now that you know what you know? Or is it just like, don't listen to your older self? <laughs> there are some things that, you know, with hindsight, you'd always like to do differently. There's some things where I certainly could have grown Elementum a lot faster had I just, you know, gone for larger investment and really just jumped in. But I did a lot of the bootstrapping. And I think a lot of the bootstrapping was important because it also helped teach us some of the things that we didn't know. And that helped us to not spend on things that we really didn't need to be doing. So I think that there was some sense of if I had to choose it and I knew what I knew now, then yeah, I, I, I think I would have approached things differently and raised money in a different way. But I couldn't possibly have done that. So no point in, you know, wishing. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. So so what's next for Elementum 3D? Yeah, so we're we're growing. Uh, we finished a funding round recently and we're adding to our capability. So we're adding to our ability to do developmental work on new alloys. We're expanding our reach into Europe further than we are. We have a couple of customers in Europe, but really it's there's some cultural barriers that we're trying to come through. And then yeah, growing in our ability to basically have you know, turnkey options for our customers so that we can help them develop these production lines. Because that's really where material is consumed is when they're in full production. Material isn't really consumed in the R&D phase. So for us, it's really about supporting our customers really heavily so that they know what to do and know some of the hurdles that they have to overcome before they get there. And then we can help support them when they run into hurdles that we couldn't have foreseen. Okay, well, I, I had a really good time chatting with you and actually researching you and Elementum was a lot of fun also. So really wanted to thank you for being on the show today and I, hope, uh, I wish you all the best of luck and I'm going to remember not to talk, listen to my older self. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks, Jacob. A huge thanks to Jacob for being on the show. It was so great seeing him and exploring all the latest developments in metal alloy additive manufacturing powder research and how Elementum is revolutionizing material and print process development and scale production. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do now so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, where together we innovate without compromise.